Hi, my name is Eric. And I'm Shalila. And this is Are You Still Watching? A podcast about movies and their place in our culture. So, hi, Eric. How are you? Uh, I am good, Shalila. Do you want to explain why we're saying hello to each other and introducing ourselves to each other, essentially, in a format that we've never done before? I don't, I don't know why we are. Because we haven't recorded in so long. That's true. That's right. I mean, they won't know. It's been a while, guys. I forgot how to do this. It has been a while, but we, we delivered you 10 really just top-of-the-line episodes, and now yeah. we took a break, you know? We, as any, like, yeah. Like a well TV show. Deserved. Mid-season break. A little hiatus. Yeah. So, like all TV shows, uh, we're going to do a mailbag episode in celebration of our <laughs> of our 10, uh, 10 first episodes. Uh, we're going to do a, a little mailbag episode using questions that were submitted to us by many of you, uh, hopefully many of you listeners over Instagram, I believe, primarily. Uh, some of them are questions, some of them were sentences, uh, and some of them were just sort of like a collection of words, but it's okay. We put them into into some sort of usable question form. True. I feel like we do need to spend maybe a little bit of time. We should probably talk about like what's been going on since we last recorded, which was like a, an age ago, uh, because yeah. a lot of stuff has changed in movies in the real world. Like for one, New Mutants yeah. is coming out. <laughs> right. Yeah, that changed. So New Mutants is coming out again for the first time again. Mm-hmm. Um that happened. A lot more movies since we last talked, I believe, were pushed. Like, virtually, I think it was Sony? Their entire calendar was basically pushed to 2021. They basically just gave up on 2020. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else happened? Oh, the Oscars. First, they said, uh, you don't have to be in a movie theater. You can just be streaming, which was going to be huge because it meant that movies that were streamed, like, for the first time ever would actually be eligible. So, uh, Trolls World Tour. Like in a real sense, like they've always been eligible, but in quotes, you know. Right. Well, but they were, they could only be eligible if they hit a theater, right? But like now for the first time ever. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So the the Academy rules previously were a movie movie had to release in New York or LA for at least a week. Like that's what actually makes you eligible for Oscar Mm. submission. So now anybody could enter, really. But even in the time since then, they've already, like the rumors are they might just cancel the whole thing. And 2020 yeah. Oscars may not exist, which I think is sad. Maybe maybe that's a thing we can tack on. Maybe that's my submitted mailbag question is yeah. we should put a list of the movies that we think should be at the 2020 Oscars because <laughs> I don't think they should skip. <laughs> I just think we should get to pick them. Let's do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, personally, like I just wanted to see James Marsden get his lead actor versus yes. the Hedgehog. Yes, exactly. So dashed my dreams there. So I think, let's see, what else? Has anything else happened? I think, uh, oh, AMC is probably going to be bought by Amazon. So really, there's yet another fun acquisition by Amazon. Um, I feel like that's, I mean, it can only be a bad thing in a sense. Like it's going to be, it's going to be like one of those good things for consumers in the very short term. Like it'll be like, oh, if you have a prime membership, you get a list list for free. And you also get to spend your prime points on movies. And it's like, oh, that's amazing. But then long term, it's like the heat death of movies. So that's One man becomes a trillionaire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's just going to be entropy. So, but yes, yeah, supposedly they might buy that. Uh, I don't know. There was like a bunch of other stuff that happened. I've lost track of it all. So long yeah. story short, movies are a change in folks. Uh, and that's what's been happening since you've been stuck indoors. Just in case you were wondering. Yeah, just in case you were wondering. Something uh, something was announced that it was coming out on VOD. 
Well, Capone came out on VOD, which was the the new Josh Trank movie with Tom Hardy. Yes. The new Spike Lee movie is coming out straight to Netflix. The Five Bloods, that's what it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was like a big deal. People like freaked out about that. Also, Artemis Fowl is going, I know that's not as big of a deal, but that's going straight to VOD. Scoob went straight to VOD. Uh, Never really, sometimes always went straight to VOD. The King of Staten Island uh, was originally supposed to come out and instead going straight to DVD or straight to VOD. So Uh, anyway, that's the news. That was such a well put together segment. That's the news. That's the news. Eric is a newscaster. You know what? I, I, I'm going to take 30 seconds to say I want to see Scoob. I haven't watched it yet, but I want to watch it. I've heard it's kind of crazy. Like it's way more than you think it's going to be. Uh, and I'm excited to see that. Like, I want to know what that's like. Why is it so weird? Do you know anything about it? I don't, I don't know anything about it. No. From that it's a new Scooby-Doo movie. I don't know anything about it other than, other than it's, you know, it's like a, it's like a, um, not a prequel, but it's basically like a, a flashback concurrent with the current movie kind of story. Uh, you know, where they're, they're basically like showing how Scooby and Shaggy met while also showing adult Scooby and Shaggy. I know that they are kidnapped and or they voluntarily join another set of like deep lore Scooby-Doo characters. And from there, the very mild reviews that I have seen talk about the fact that it is nuts. Like they go through all kinds of different either scenarios or realities. I'm not really clear. And I think the ending involves zombies. I'm not really sure. Oh, my God. It's spider. But I know that I want to see it. Yeah, that is yeah. a great way to put it. And I want to see it. I The only things I know about it are that the promo has Velma doing the woe. And um, they didn't tell any of the original cast members that they were doing this movie, which doesn't make me happy. Right, right. I did see that because the guy who voiced Fred originally is the voice of Scoop. I don't know why I said that. His name is Scooby. Oh. Uh, but yes, the original <laughs> voice of Fred, he, was, he sort of said the same thing, though. Like, he said in an interview, like... I didn't know I was not doing the voice of Fred until, like, the time came. Because he's always been the voice of Fred. He's recently the voice of Scooby. And, yeah, so I thought that was kind of interesting. That is weird. Like, they just give him the contract, and they were like, you're in this movie, and he just assumed. Yeah, I think it was just kind of like, oh, when I heard that there's a new Scooby-Doo movie, I can't wait to reprise my role. And also probably do this other role I've been doing for about ten years. And instead they were like, no, Zac Efron's going to do your forever role. So well, yeah. There's that. Uh, right, well, anyway, that was a lot about Scoob. That was a segment called Scoob, and back to you, Shalila. It will not be recurring. <laughs> <laughs> All right, should we dive into some of the questions our lovely listeners have sent in? Always wanted yes. to say that. Sound like a real radio host. Let's do it. I also a uh, little surprise for you. I also had a last minute question submission that came about nine minutes ago. Fantastic. We can actually start with this one if you'd like. It's 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 an yeah, easier one. Um, this is from uh, my very oldest friend Jordan, who uh, said, and I quote: "I very very lazily tried to make a Harley Quinn egg sandwich for dinner. Is this podcast worthy? Have you ever tried to make food from a movie?" So the question, our first mailbag question is. Uh, have we ever tried to make food from a movie? I mean, I, I don't even think I can begin to answer this question without plugging Binging with Babish, right? You li- Do you watch Binging with Babish? Oh my god, nope. Eric, your dreams are about to come true. Maybe Jordan's dreams are about to come true, actually. Binging with Babish is one of the singular greatest YouTube channels to ever exist. It's one of those instant classics, just 
quickly ascends to the top of the internet leaderboard. Greatest, greatest channel run by this great guy named Andrew Ray. He's just, I mean, he's a chef, but he's also just a funny, nice guy. Um, and the whole thing, like the whole point of the channel is he makes food from pop culture. Like, that's it. He just, he just makes food from TV and movies and things. And he's also a genuine pro chef and has other food stuff on his channel. So he makes them all from scratch. So the running joke is he'll, he'll be like, okay, well, we have to make this pudding. So let's start by growing our own everything. Like he'll make everything from scratch, but he also just does it beautifully. And he's done everything, including the egg sandwich from Birds of Prey. Oh, wow. So he's like really up to date. Very, very much so. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. I've never heard of him or seen him. That's my answer. It's just plugging Binging with Babish, one of the greatest YouTube channels of all time. So you personally have never made something from a movie? Eric, I don't even know how to say this. I can barely cook. Like, I can boil water. (laughs) It's a miracle if I get, like, the amount of penny for one person right, and then that's all I can do. So, no. (laughs) Alright. Um, I don't believe that i have ever made anything from a movie the only thing i can think of and i I don't really think this counts but the only thing i can think of is that like many people who grew up in the mid-2000s and were obsessed with harry potter at some point we definitely had like a harry potter themed party or halloween or something and tried to make various harry potter named things the problem is you're not really making them like from the movie you're just trying to get it to look like it so when they're like here's a cauldron cake you're like oh great here's a chocolate lava cake like you're just sort of calling it that so i don't know if that really counts um yeah i'm gonna say my answer is no i don't think i've ever made anything from a movie which seems kind of weird i will say this does lead me to what i think is I'm going to vote as the most popular. I saw this made in a movie and then I made it ever, which is the, the, the dish that the kid wants in parasite. That's been all over the internet since parasite came out. The rum done. Yeah. Again, binging with Babish does it great. It's been everywhere that everyone tried to make it. And I think that's kind of interesting because I've never seen it so prolific before. Like, again, it's not like a bunch of people were making Harley Quinn's egg sandwich. Not, not as much. Right. So I'm just kind of curious as to why that was so, why that like cut through the noise. Um, So I think that's my answer. Honestly, the closest I've ever gotten was uh, making green eggs and ham. That's not even from a movie, but like I did it, you know. It's a pop culture reference. I dyed ham green and then I ate it. Wait, are green eggs and ham that the ham and the eggs are green? I thought it was just green eggs, comma, and ham. Hmm. You know? No, I'm with you. I've never actually thought about that. I assume they're both green, and I've always made them green. But that's a good point. This is like an Oxford comma question. Uh, no, on the cover of the book, they're both explicitly green. Okay, yeah. That that's that took all the ambiguity out, so yeah. thanks. So if it was green Fantastic. eggs, comma, and ham, if it had an Oxford comma, we would know. And this is why the Oxford comma is needed, just as a note, everybody. That's what this yeah. was about. This was a defense. Let's answer it this way. If you could make... Or if you would, going forward, make one thing from a movie, what are you most excited to make? Mm. That is a good question. Oh, you know what? I actually have a a really, maybe, I don't know if this is a boring answer or not, but um, the pasta dish, 
I don't know. I don't even know what it is, but I know that it involves meatballs and I think sausages. What uh, what they're making in The Godfather when uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about when um, yes. Oh God, I'm forgetting everyone, and I'm gonna be uh, lambasted for that when uh, 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 Michael is in the house and they're basically like hiding out, and Clemenza Clemenza is teaching him how to make food for like 20 people and that's what he tells him he's like i'm gonna teach you how to make food for a bunch of people and he's like you gotta put the sugar in the sauce and he's like now you put the tomatoes in and it's like in this giant soup pot and i think i really want to make that like i want to learn how to do it i don't you know it's not you ever see the finished product it's not that important it's more just like it's so particular and so paid attention to and i am not good at making food for a lot of people like at all, I really don't do well with big quantities, oh, and I so don't have a big the, pot. The, the large quantity thing that's also yeah, part of exactly, the, the pull. exactly. So that's why I'm kind of. I think that might be my answer. I would like to learn how to make whatever the hell it is uh, that he's making in that in that movie, so that I can also know how to feed an army of mob guys if it comes down to it. I want to do right I by Clemenza. That. That's my answer. Great answer. What about you? Um, this is so silly, but I would just make the ratatouille from Ratatouille. I've never made oh, ratatouille. Man. Ratatouille is such a, a, a proud vegetarian. I just I don't know how have I ratatouille. forgot about ratatouille, but as in like that movie is chock full of like dishes that are beautifully made and put in front of you. Yeah, I kind of forgot about that. We didn't even talk about any of the cooking movies. Like Chef is an entire movie, <laughs> but we you just know went why? straight to the Godfather. I don't think I've seen any cooking movies. I'm gonna throw that out there. You've seen ratatouille, other than ratatouille. Movie, other than ratatouille, okay. I have not seen Chef. I didn't see that other one that was basically Chef, but with Bradley Cooper. Yeah. I didn't see any of the older cooking movies that I'm sure exist that I don't know of. Yeah. No, I, I really haven't. One day. Yeah. I maybe that's a maybe that's a thing. We'll have to look up a letterbox list. Movies, movies about cooking, cooking movies. Yeah. Oh my God, Julie and Julia. There we are. I'm so Ju- sorry. I thank you. Movies. <laughs> thank you. I knew there was like a big one I was missing within the past twenty years. That was the one. That's Anne Hathaway, right? Thank you, Jordan. No, it's Amy Adams, right? Is it no, not? I think it's Anne Hathaway. Is it Amy Adams? It's Amy Adams. I googled. Is it really? Yeah. That's my bad, to Amy Adams. I'm so sorry, Amy Adams. I really enjoy her. I don't. I don't want to. Oh, Stanley Tucci's in that movie too. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. And Chris Messina. Whoa. Speaking of Birds of Prey, Jane Lynch, Nora Ephron. There's all kinds of people. All right. Well, this will have to be on our list. Look at this. This is why we do mailbag episodes. We're discovering new things together. I'm learning so much. Yeah. All right. Should we go move on to the next one? Go for it. Okay. Let's move on to a question sent in by Varsha. Hi, Varsha. Name a movie that you thought was artsy in high school. Right. This is hard. I'm going to let you start with this one because I don't... This is going to be hard for me. Okay. I feel like this could go in two directions. Like I feel like you could interpret this question as... Name a movie that you thought was artsy in high school, but then you grew up and found out it wasn't or something like that. Or name a movie that you thought was artsy in high school. Like you knew it ahead of the curve. You were in high school and you already knew it was a cool movie. So I'm going to I'm just going to freely go with the second one. When I was approximately in high school, this might have been a little bit before. I think I was like 12 or 13. I watched Zach Braff's Garden State and I have never felt more like a child cinephile than when i watched yeah that movie. i don't know curve. why i picked that out of the dvd pile with a bunch of friends as a child again a young child and we put this on right. and it was just zach braff from scrubs being depressed as hell and we were like what 
is this movie? With, uh, but with, my with God. What's Your Face, right? With uh, Natalie Portman. Yeah. I think. Right? I haven't seen this since, again, since I was 12. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I just told I you when I watched it. Constantly. No, yes, sure it's Natalie Portman. <laughs> Natalie Portman, yes. Peter Sarsgaard, Jim Parsons. There's a bunch of people in that movie. Jim Parsons, I remember that, actually. See, again, I, I can only remember them by my frame of reference when I was 12, which was, oh, he's in Scrubs. He's in The Big Bang Theory. So, right. <laughs> yeah, that worked for me. So, yeah, I felt like, like, my God, I have never walked into school the next day feeling more like I've aged by 15 years. I was like, I'm in the body of a New York Times film critic today. Nobody stepped to me. I've watched Garden State. That's my answer. I feel like I knew someone who was who had literally watched that movie basically same time like late middle school early high school and if i'm remembering right they were exactly like that about it too where they were like oh my favorite movie is garden state you probably haven't heard of it and i didn't and i hadn't and they're right but like once i became an adult adult i was able to look back and be like that movie was being enjoyed by people that were like 15 years your superior way, <laughs> obviously way i didn't young, know it man. you know like <laughs> i'm like i'm not in that they, i'm not the market it's a sad movie it's literally about his mother dying and then everyone's like half the people find out that they can't walk and everybody everybody is either on antidepressants or suddenly ill and oh my god everything is so sad in that movie and that's all i remember why, why was why were we watching that i don't know Okay, I don't know if I have one that I thought was artsy in high school. No, that's not true. Let me rephrase. I don't think I'm like you. I don't think I was ahead of the curve at all. I was appropriately on the curve uh, where I don't think I, there was definitely nothing I was watching where I was like, wow, I'm so far ahead of everybody else. Um, Instead, I think I have an embarrassing answer. (laughs) So go for it. I wouldn't say that I thought this movie was artsy but i did think that it was like pretty deep and that it had things to say and that is the movie never back down (laughs) which is a mixed martial arts film starring amber heard and a bunch of other people you've never heard of except for jimon onsu and evan peters who are both in it but they're not the stars but they are in it the two leads are sean ferris and cam gigandit gigandit I don't even know how to pronounce this person's name. Oh, um, he's on... I know that guy. But and they're definitely you. not like, you know... Uh, he was in Burlesque, apparently. He was in Twilight, supposedly. But uh, they're not like A-listers, you know? Uh, oh, he he was on a recurring role in the OC. Cam Kaganjit mm-hmm. was. And Sean Ferris, uh, according to his Wikipedia, is an American actor, model, and producer. And he's known for his role in this movie. So... Great. Anyway, I, I just thought this movie was like the treatise on male masculinity. And as a young, this was 2008. So as like an eighth grader, ninth grader, I thought that there was just no better depiction of what it was like to be like a high schooler. And it was your fight club. It was my, yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, it was sort of like my fight club or sort of like my karate kid. Cause that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's karate kid, but mixed martial arts. But the key here, the the thing that I think is really important, is that this movie came out in 2008, which, if my math serves me correctly, was 12 years ago. So that means the guy playing the main high schooler was 26 years old 
And I oh, thought in my heart of heart that all of those people, like I just thought that's, this was it. It was like the most accurate depiction I've ever seen of high school and of masculinity and what it's like to, to pine after Amber Heard. And if you just, you know, conquer that anger and flip a tire in a, in a dirty gym, then you'll get through it. Um, and I'm embarrassed to say I own that movie on iTunes. And uh, I used to watch it about once every six months. And I have not returned to it in a long time. Oh, I saw it in theaters. That's also important. Um, oh. Yeah, I haven't returned to it in a long time, but I will definitely assume that it is not good. But I, I know it's not good. It says a 26% of Rotten Tomatoes. So <laughs> that's going to be my answer. It, I didn't really think it was artsy, but like I really did think that movie had things to say. But it, it doesn't. Is, is that it doesn't it is nothing Damn. to say do you want to know actually i'm gonna say the worst part the the biggest fallout of that movie i think um is that uh still to this day uh as in like when i saw him in uh endgame or when i saw him in guardians of the galaxy i still think of jimon honsu as the guy from never back down <laughs> Oh my god! That Which must is hurt. incredibly disrespectful because he was in Blood Diamond. <laughs> like he's he was in Amistad. Like he's like a guy. <laughs> he's like a very. This man was in the Gladiator. <laughs> That's what I mean. He's been oh in movies, god. and I still think of him as being the guy from Never Back Down. <laughs> and I'm really sorry if you're listening to this, Jimon Otsu. I I really apologize for that, but. Anyway, that's my answer. Man, this movie was directed by the guy who directed Fantasy Island. Really? Yeah, and like the Kick new one Ass too. Yeah, yeah, the twenty twenty one. Oh wow, those are not good movies, from my understanding. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, uh, Kick Ass two I did see, and it was not very good. It, it was. It was I fine. have seen Kick Ass two approximately twelve times, and it is also not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it has some moments. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, look at this. Oh, he's sense. gonna he's the writer of the Masters of the Universe movie? And he was the writer of Bloodshot, oh the last hit oh movie to my hit God. theaters. <laughs> the number one movie in America. Oh wait. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to jump the gun on our typical game, but I, I don't think we can play our typical game. But I will tell you this, uh, as a piece of movie news we didn't cover, did you know that there is a number one movie in America right now? What is it? What what how? I don't remember the name of it. There is a movie that is playing at drive ins. It's playing at like 12 drive-ins oh in the country and it's made like $6,000 and that means it is the number one movie in America and it has been for like three weeks. <laughs> this is really magical for that movie. I hope they're, I yep. hope they're so happy. <laughs> I hope so too. They're killing it. Damn, somebody dethroned Vin Diesel. Doesn't yep. feel good. Sorry, Vin Diesel. All right. Well, there you go. That was fun. Uh, there's that. So... Let's see. What else? What other questions do we have here? Um, that was our artsy in high school. Uh, here, let's have. Let's let me finish out Jordan here. Uh, the other thing that Jordan had submitted a while ago was not a question. So that's going to be minus one point for it not being a question. It was just the the command: play seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Um, Love a good command. So. First, we should know that I believe the game is called Six Degrees of, uh, of uh, Kevin Bacon. I it believe. sure is. <laughs> uh, I might be wrong, but I think it is. <laughs> and number no, two. No, it definitely is. Uh, 
Yeah, we can do that. Uh, I will admit, I don't know Kevin Bacon that well. Maybe that's what I'll parlay this this command into, is a general topic on Kevin Bacon. Do you feel like you were up to snuff on your Kevin Bacon filmography? I'm really glad you brought this up because I've I I'm not I'm not ashamed of it. This is fine, you know. I I know so little. Like I'm I'm a certified dumbass, so I'm not surprised by this at all. But I really know like nothing, nothing about this man. I can I name some movies he's in, most of which I haven't even seen. Um, but apart from the fact that he is in the title of this game, which is telling about what his assumed level of popularity is, I have always wondered why. I just have this black hole of information when it comes to Kevin Bacon. Like, specifically among everything I know on this planet, I don't know anything about him, and it's really weird. I agree. So, I mean, I I think we should start with the fact that um, I don't think it's possible if you are aware of, like, American film in any degree to get away from the knowledge that he's in Footloose, right? Like, that's, you know that. I've never seen the original Footloose. I'm going to throw that out there. I saw the remake, which is another sad admission, but I've never seen the original Footloose. Um, But if you look at... So I just Googled Kevin Bacon. And in his (laughs) little Wikipedia, like, Google quick entry thing, the movies that it says he's really known for are all movies that were, like, 80s, early 90s movies. And I'm wondering if that's part of it. It's like... If you happen to miss out on this era, which I will say I think is my most missed era of any decade of film. It is legitimately like my most, let's say of modern film, let's say from like 1980 on, I am missing the early 90s more than anything. So it says Footloose, JFK, A Few Good Men, Apollo 13, and Mystic River. I have seen 10 minutes of A Few Good Men. I have never seen the rest of those movies. So... Sorry, Kevin Bacon. I only know you as the bad guy from First Class. Oh, my God. Thank you. X-Men First Class. That That's is. it. That is yeah. it. That's it. I don't know him otherwise. Um, which I guess is sad. Is that sad? I don't know. He's doing fine. He doesn't, like, need me. Right. He doesn't need you. It's not It's not even actively disrespectful. I think it's just a little mystifying. It's fine. Yeah. I agree with that. It's a little mystifying. I'm trying to see what else he's been in um, in the past couple of years. Did you see R.I.P.D.? No. I don't know anything about R.I.P.D. I saw it. It's a Jeff Bridges, Ryan Reynolds movie. And the, move, the, the movie is called R.I.P.D., which stands for the Rest in Peace Department. And okay. I believe it's based on a comic. What I don't understand is how this comic exists and also Men in Black exists. Because so far as I can tell, R.I.P.D. is Men in Black but ghosts, not aliens. And apparently, Kevin Bacon is in this movie. I don't remember him in it. My bigger question is, again, how does RIPD exist as like a trademarked property in a world in which you already, like if I send you, I'm just, you know what? Listeners, you're going to get an inside look at our process. I'm going to drag this very bad thumbnail to my desktop, and then I'm going to pop it into the text message chain that I have with you. So that you can see it live. I don't know if you know this, listeners, and Shalila, but the way that you let people know you're young is you call it text messaging. You just called it a text message, just to repeat that. Yep. I, I see it. This is... You see that? That's Men in Black. The poster for <laughs> Men in Black. Right? Down to the neuralizer glowing. Yes, yes, thank I you. The tips of the gun, right? don't know what it's to say It's almost the same font. They're standing in the same way. Again, I don't know anything about it. It's possible that this is intentional. 
Like for this example, this is a bug's life and ants, man. People, yeah, exactly. People like to point out that like um, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Daredevil are similar. That's because Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was originally a satire of Daredevil. Like maybe that's the case here. Maybe R.I.P.D. is supposed to be a copy, a satire. Maybe it, maybe it shares the same universe. I don't know. But that movie also stars Kevin Bacon, and I think that really gets to the heart of Jordan's question. <laughs> I'm really, so. I'm really confused about this. This is upsettingly close. Yeah. Again, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Um, I forget the name of the writer. A minute, Black. Ed Boone, maybe. Uh, but I would like to know if he is aware. If he has anything to say. Um, but anyway, that's that. Basically, is. The seven degrees of Kevin. Ba- oh, we did miss one. He's in Crazy Stupid Love. He's David oh, Lindhagen. Yes. I knew that. that I feel fact. like that's very important. Yeah. 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 That's that's it. So anyway, thanks for playing the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon with us, everybody. We didn't even play one <laughs> round of this game. Not a single. Should we just do one? Let's try one. Let's see how how bad could this be. Let's just just pick a pick a pick an pick an actor, and we'll figure it out. Um, is there a spin a wheel for Hollywood actors somewhere out there? Ooh, that's a good question. Let me type in random actor. Random actor Just generator. Just say the first person who appears on the Google images, I guess. Can I tell a quick story about the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon? Yes, please. I discovered this game at a party that my parents had with like friends of theirs. And when I say a party, I mean like this was one of those adult parties where everyone like gets together and then the kids are told to like go to the backyard so that the adults can all be adults and they yeah. eat like fancy cheese and drink wine or whatever at this party they watched the film my big fat greek wedding which is the only time that i have seen that movie and i didn't like it because i was six years old and or whatever uh at that party they played the six degrees of kevin bacon and i remember thinking that it was very confusing again because i was six so my knowledge of actors was Will Smith, and that's it. So yeah. I didn't really have a lot of degrees to go except to Will Smith. Um, and that's it. That's all I have to say. That's my story. Uh, random Generator came up with Ryan Reynolds. He was the random. Let's do it. Okay. So other that we can't do RIPD because obviously they're they're directly connected. They're both in that movie. So Oh, okay. Yeah, no, skip that. <laughs> How else can we get from Ryan Reynolds to Kevin Bacon? Wait, this is remarkably easy, isn't it? I don't know if this counts because it's a cameo, but Ryan Reynolds oh, X-Men. Yeah. is the character Slade Wilson in the movie X-Men Origins Wolverine with Hugh Jackman, who is also the character Wolverine in the movie X-Men First Class with Kevin Bacon. Fantastic. That's it. We did it. I get fa- truly amazing. <laughs> Just... <laughs> We're so good at this. Surpassing every standard we've ever had. We're so good at this. Wait, before we wrap this up, I I got one that's only romantic comedies. Surprisingly easy. So we've got Ryan Reynolds was in Definitely Maybe with Rachel Weisz. Mm-hmm. Rachel Weisz was in The Favorite with Emma Stone. Emma Stone was in Crazy Stupid Love with Kevin Bacon. Ah. I'm calling The Favorite a romantic it, wait, comedy. Th- is that's The Favorite right. a romantic comedy? Listen, just give me this. All right, I'll give it to you. I didn't see the favorite. I will admit. I well, let me edit. I have not seen the favorite yet. So, I guess I don't have a, a leg to stand on. 
I can't claim that I wouldn't it's not call it. Really I mean, comedy. I think it's technically a comedy drama, but it is certainly a romance if you're the right type of person. All right. Well, that's what I mean. I, I don't have a I don't have a horse in that race, so I got to see it first before I can claim one way. Or yeah, the you other. you watch it before you critique my genre decisions. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, well, there you go, Jordan. There's your seven degrees of six degrees of Kevin Bacon through romantic comedies only. What's our next question? Okay. So our next question was submitted by my father. Uh, And based on this question, I can only assume that he has either never stopped thinking about the movie Captain America Civil War, or he is currently time stuck in the year 2015. His question was, (laughs) who was right? Captain America or Iron Man? I just... (laughs) So for context, uh, for those who aren't immediately aware of what we're talking about... I'm assuming what he's referencing is a pretty popular pop culture debate in the year 2015, I think it was 2015, when uh, the movie Captain America Civil War came out from Marvel, and in that movie, Captain America and Iron Man are on two different sides, and they fight. And it was like a big thing, like you could go to like Burger King and stuff, and they would have like Team Cap whatever like cups or team iron man cups and it was like a thing and it was talked about and people had buttons and i know that because i was people so this is the question that my father has asked is who was right captain america or iron man do you want to give it a go do you do you have a place you want to start with this because i have a whole thing but i'd like if you you have have a place you want to start I'm, i'm interested i have a little bit of a whole thing all right let's hear it i want to hear your little bit of a whole thing first okay I'm only answering this based on the movies because I haven't read the comics, so I don't actually know any of the lore behind the Sokovia Accords. Um, I'm sure you can justify both, and I'm sure that one makes slightly more sense based on the comics, but I'm seriously never going to read it. Um, So based on the movies, here's my deal. I've always thought this was really stupid, and I'm going to give you one piece of evidence It's that entire scene at the beginning of Civil War where they're sitting in that weird futuristic S.H.I.E.L.D. conference room and the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent guy, like that guy is like, okay, you need to sign the accords, here's why. And he turns on this slideshow of reasons and it's basically just a recap of the past few Avengers movies. And he's like, this thing and this thing and this thing has happened. And Captain America, the absolute dumbass, just sits there at the table and looks sad and goes, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah. But every time that he flips a new slide... You can just defend that with, like, three words that would put the Avengers in the right. And he's like, hey, remember New York when a bunch of aliens attacked the city? That's when you need to sign the accords. I'm like, hey, remember when a bunch of aliens attacked the city and we didn't, like, we saved you guys from the end of the world? Again, a bunch of aliens attacked the city. And he's like, hey, remember when you guys, like, did this thing? And it's like, yeah, every one of those was an unprecedented world-ending event. And thanks to us people are alive and the earth is still going on so if you could just like be quiet that would be nice or if you want us to just like not not do our world saving thing we can just stop and then they would have been like never mind we're gonna shred the accords because we're being really stupid here and you guys have superpowers so So that so you're saying you're on cap side then here's the thing though for the past five years i've been on tony's side now i can't remember (laughs) why okay eric your dad has messed me up i might be able to help with that i might be able to help First, I want to say I completely agree with you. There's a there's a couple of like there's a couple of issues here. I'm going to start with the least important one, which is that you called him that shield guy. 
which is completely fair. I just want people to know that in case he shows up again, which seems very likely, that is an actor. I don't know who that actor is. I'm really sorry to you guy who plays him. <laughs> but uh, that character is General Thunderbolt Ross, uh, who is more than likely, given everything that has happened and been teased, going to show up as the Red Hulk in the next set of Marvel movies. So Fantastic. just just know now that like he may have seemed minor and unimportant then, but it seems nearly impossible that he doesn't show up later, just based on weird random stuff. Anyway, here's where I'm going to come with this, and I have spent five long years thinking about this, so here we go. <laughs> and I don't know why we're adjudicating this again. I want to point that out, Dad. I don't know why we're doing this again. <laughs> we've had like ten Marvel movies since then. <laughs> we've we've all we've gone way over the hump. Like, but that's okay. Just wait until he finds out about Endgame. So, uh, I think the first issue is you have to define through what lens you are asking the question, who was right, Iron Man or Captain America? I think that's very important because you have to take into account your opinion and knowledge of the world as it exists in reality versus the world that is constructed by the films. And I think that's what Shalila's getting at here a little bit, is in the context of the movies and the movies only. And what I mean by that is you cannot bring in to your brain like any part of the real world government, any part of fascism, government powers, uh, the concept of people with superior physical abilities being superior. None of that. Leave that at the door. Because in the world of the movies, that does not exist. In the world of the movies, there is a big old government that is usually America, unless you're in the X-Men movies, and then it's Canada. <laughs> There's a big old government, and that's America. And then later on in the Avengers movies, that becomes, like, the UN. But it's always just represented by S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. And that big old government wants to regulate the Avengers. And their evidence is, here is a bunch of stuff that happened... And you guys were at that stuff. And that stuff didn't always go well. And a lot of the times, it didn't go well because you guys are kind of bad at it sometimes. And that's like a, that's a fair critique, I think. Like there's, you know, one of the things they point to is the fact that the Hulk destroys stuff. And in the way of destroying stuff, he's also like blowing up buildings. Like he's not exactly like a, a, a finesse weapon, right? But the right. reason that this argument makes sense at all, the re and, and to, to reiterate... Since Shalila, it broke her brain a second ago. So I, maybe this is, I don't uh, Iron Man wants to sign the Accords. And this is much deeper than I want to go in the 10 minutes I'm allotted here. But just trust me when I say, for reasons that involve the rest of his movies and an actual pretty good character arc between about eight movies, Iron Man wants to sign the Accords. What he wants to have happen is he wants the Avengers to be regulated. He wants the government to step in. And he wants the Avengers to be a government team that acts under public purview and is regulated and is told where to go and when to go. And that way, it doesn't fall on them. Like, in other words, there are people, there, there's, there's systems and checks and balances. Captain America does not want that. So the, the movie is presenting this as two competing sides. And the only reason that this makes sense is because in the context of the movies is exactly what you just said, Shalila. We know as the audience that 
All of those things would have been way worse if the Avengers weren't there. And we also know why Captain or why Iron Man wants to sign them because we have theoretically seen his movies in which he, the solo act egomaniac who was only in charge of himself, basically caused the world to end like three different times. Right. So in that context and that context alone, my answer is that Captain America is obviously correct. There's a much simpler way of knowing the answer to this. The movie is called Captain America Civil War. Not (laughs) Iron Man Civil War, nor is it Avengers Civil War. If it was Avengers Civil War, which if we're all being honest with ourselves, it should have been. uh, Then I would say it doesn't actually have a stance, that it actually does leave it kind of open. But it mostly doesn't. Like The fact that it's even titled that is a pretty strong indicator that by the end of it, the answer is they th- the, the movie thinks Captain America is correct. And you know that because the movie ends with them forming a new Avengers that is entirely separate from the government that is paid for entirely by Tony Stark that exists in upstate New York and is like separate and solo. So I mean, you just know it. Like there's no, there's no argument really. That is what the movies claim. And the big reason that they claim that, like the reason Captain America believes they should be regulated is because of Captain America Winter Soldier in which... It turns out all of the government is actually Nazis, you know, fiction. So that is my first answer. I told you this was going to be a whole thing. I warned you. Oh my God. And you let this happen. You did. You did. That's my first answer. But I think there is an important second answer. And that is, if you don't ignore the real world, I think the answer changes dramatically. At the time... My stance, when I saw this, I was a junior in college. My stance was that if you are a person who pays attention to the world, then you are Team Iron Man. 100%. If you're a person with like a heart, and like, in other words, what, what I mean by that is like, if you like these movies, then you're Team Cap. Like, in other words, that your heart lies with him because that's where the movie wants it to lie. But your logic should lie with Iron Man because the idea of unregulated, super powerful people running around the world with absolutely no purview, intervening wherever they want, even if they think it's to do good, well, that's just American interventionism there, folks. And that's kind of the point of the movie. It's why the movie (laughs) opens where it does in Lagos. Like, there's a reason where they go where they go. Like, there are clear parallels. There's even a very on-the-nose drone strike in that opening scene in which Falcon is controlling a drone and that drone does stuff, right? Uh, my point is that it, there are, are obvious reasons why you, you have to sort of say Iron Man is right. My big... Um, what I think has changed, though, in the five years since, what I think is sort of interesting is that I think if you were to survey people now and say, like, who do you trust more to to save the world? Do you trust a group of five very well-meaning individuals who have the powers and resources to possibly do it and who have consistently shown that they have the goodwill of the people in mind? Or do you trust large bureaucratic government systems that we know to have been run and or are currently run by neo-Nazis? Because that's the plot of the movie, but that's also the plot of real life now. 
<laughs> so mm-hmm. my point is I, I don't really know how to handle that because I think this movie has actually changed post-2016. It's, I mean, yeah. literally yesterday, the President of the United States went to Detroit and started talking about bloodlines and people having Goodness. better bloodlines. My point, like, I don't know if you can watch that movie the same way. And that's where I don't know if I have an answer for you, Dad. I don't know if there is a correct answer anymore. I think the movie has a correct answer, but I think once upon a time, the answer was very clear. Iron Man. When we, as a general rule, the public did not, it it was a fictional concept that the government was being run by neo-Nazis. Right. That's not fiction now. So (laughs) I I just, I don't know how to answer it really anymore because it really does change the context. I, I don't know. I think you have to give a lot of leeway to team captain and you have to sort of understand the idea of well-meaning and of public good being held in mind as being superior to not having any like checks and balances. Um, maybe the better answer though, given the fact that like the point of that movie is that they break up and that because they break up later on, infinity war happens. Right. Maybe the better answer is that even among like the MCU, maybe the MCU's answer is neither of them is right. Like, in other words, the whole point was they were both wrong to be separate. They should have been trying to figure out how to do that together in unison, because that is literally the entire point of the finale of that whole infinity gem, whatever the hell it's called, infinity stone saga. Uh, what is it called? The infinity stone saga? Is that what they decided to call it? I forget. Yeah. Uh, Infinity? Isn't it just called the Infinity Saga? I think you're right. I think it's just called the Infinity Saga. So I think that's my final answer. I think that Endgame shows us that the MCU's answer was neither of them is right. I think the movie says Captain is right. And I think that time has said that it's messy. (laughs) And that maybe Captain was right. But in a general sense, in a normal state of being iron man's probably right that's my i'm gonna extend that a little bit with a with a closing kind of kind of reflection on the fact now that we've brought civil war back into the discourse in 2020 i might as well say my last thought about it um you're so right though it's that the reason this worked is because the reason that you know this movie worked and we didn't think or that we thought that these were the, the fact that we thought that these were viewpoints that made sense enough for the movie to exist is all down to the credit that Iron Man is an inherently rebellious person and him telling people to sign this meant, hey, just, just put your name on the paper, we'll take it from here. Like, he understood the inherent fallibility of the councils that run all of this and wrote all of this. And I don't think he ever intended to be like, okay, well, we're going to abide by all the bylaws, 1A part 1. Um, I think he meant more like, listen, just just, just sign the papers and we'll figure it out. Um, but he- here's, here's what I think about every time I think about Civil War and what you were saying, which is that somehow it's gotten more and more resonant with every passing day. This is not an original thought. First off, I think many people think this, but second, I straight up haven't been able to stop thinking about this since Cosmonaut Marcus, who runs the Cosmonaut Variety Hour YouTube channel, etc., etc., said this in one of his Marvel reviews on YouTube. But he was basically saying that his biggest qualm with the Civil War storyline 
is that they did it way too early. Like he's like, here's my problem. It's a really, 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 really cool storyline. In the comics, there are a lot more people on each person's side. And not only does that make sense because it's the comics, it's also really visible when you rewatch the airport fight scene now. Like we're we're just like a couple movies past it in the grand scheme of things. And it just seems super empty. Like you're watching it and you're like, oh yeah, there were only like eight Avengers, like Spider-Man too. So whatever, that's fine. But it, it really strikes you that after Thanos... Like, whatever they're going to do next, I'm sure they're going to do it well because they're, they're good at this, they're professionals, but it's kind of going to seem stupid, right? Like, after Thanos, like, if there's a big intergalactic threat, nothing is going to seem scary compared to Thanos. Like, nothing can seem terrifying anymore, technically. You'd have to really do it well. So... Where are they going to go from here? What would have been really great to go from here now that they don't have Captain America or Iron Man is to have the Civil War discourse, but to have two different people at the forefront of it so that we can understand it in a little less of an obvious sense, if that makes sense to their to their point of view. I think it's just right. really freaking clear why Captain America, a man who has been lied to his entire life from the second he woke up in the 2000s about what right. year it was and was had a super serum used on him that was then misused in so many ways and had everybody right. he's ever known he was made lied blah, to blah, 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 in every possible yeah. era. Um, wow, why he might not trust the government and it's so clear why Iron Man who created Ultron would, would want to just get that out of the way. But I right. think it would just have been so, so much smarter to do that after Endgame. Anyway, that's, that's, that's I what I got. I agree. Uh, no, I, 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 uh, I agree with you. I think I understand why they did it, which is to say like, it's like a classic, I think Civil War at its root, like despite all the like, honestly, fairly interesting, I think sort of political elements of it at its root. It's when you were a kid and you sat in the sandbox and you're like, man, it'd be so cool if these two toys would fight. (laughs) Like it's it's just not, that's what it is. (laughs) So at that core, I understand why they did it in one department, which is those were their two toys. Like, even in the next wave, I I don't foresee it being the same thing. Like, I don't think anyone's going to be like, my God, wouldn't it be cool to see Captain Marvel fight Doctor Strange? I mean, I guess, but like, I don't care that much, you know, because it's just not, they're not, they didn't start it. They're not sort of like the the, the godfathers of it. So it's not as inherently interesting, I guess. On the flip side, though, I really agree with you in that it would have been cooler to see the largesse. And I think it also would have been a way for them to kind of show off if Civil War would have been their end game, like end cap movie to some, to whatever, let's say the next wave. So like an end game, we saw them comfortably put hundreds of characters on one screen at once, like dozens and dozens of main characters and then a bunch of soldiers, right? All on one screen versus Thanos. And they did that, like they CGI'd it, it worked, it was there. So with that in mind, like they could have easily, at some point, you know, uh, let's say at the end of the next phase, you could have had 20 person teams on each side fighting each other. And it would have been a cool way, my guess would be to sort of be like, hey, you know how we told you that RDJ and Chris Evans are never coming back? Well, we brought them back for this movie. Like it's old man, Captain America and old man, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And I do feel like that was a little bit of a missed opportunity. I will agree with you on that. Even just for the fun side alone. No politics. Just literally how fun it could have been. I do think they kind of... They kind of jumped the gun a little bit early on it. Um, 
yeah that's my that's oh, my well. on that oh well so all that to say dad i don't know man just go watch it it's five years old you know there's lots of answers oh that's lord it. <laughs> that's my answer <laughs> i'm glad we had that discussion in the year 2020 yeah. the year of our lord yeah. 2020 <laughs> Yep, wait till you hear about this thing called the Joker. We're going to have a lot to say on that. <laughs> oh, God. Uh. Okay, so our next question. Uh, do you want to take this one or do you want me to take it? Yeah, I can take it. Um, this one's also it. a bit of a back and forth discussion that we can have. Um, I've got a question from Krithika. Hi, Krithika. Name your top five period pieces. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> Can we even name five period pieces? <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's going to be the the trick for me. Is I I period pieces are not my expertise. Um, <laughs> I legitimately don't know if I could name five without putting some real thought into it. As in, well, I can name five, but not five that I've seen. You know what I mean? Like, I'm aware of Atonement and Pride and Prejudice, but I've never seen them, so I, I don't think that counts. Right. So let me hear yours first. I feel like I can name three from the past three years. Go for it. We've got the favorite. We have Emma. Oh, yeah. That just came out. We've got um, Carol. Carol is a good one. Is Carol the one with Kate Blanchett? Yes. Rooney Mara, Kate Blanchett. Iconic lesbian I did not see that. I need to see it. Yeah. I missed out that year. So here's my question for you. Something we talked about a little bit before we jumped on. What... He's a period piece because here's my like issue or question. I understand that little women is a period piece because I think I understand that because the, uh, what I get out of that, like to me, what a period piece is, is a film that has a plot that takes place in a time period but that time period, A, has to take place in the past, and B, is integral to the film's plot and story. So, in other words, you could not, you could not take that film, pop it in a different time period, and it still be what it is. I think that's what a period piece is. So... What I'm, I'm going to throw at you before I name five to t- try to name five is I am going to throw a possible disagreement at you and or a discussion question. Okay. Is Portrait of a Lady on Fire a period piece? Or is it just a movie about women wearing old dresses? I know that's not what it's about. My, what I'm saying is I don't think it's a period piece just because they're wearing old timey costumes. I think it's a period piece because when she arrives on the thing, she's transported everything in a weird wooden box and she keeps drawing <laughs> with little stubs of whatever colored coal that are clearly... Sure. You know what I'm saying? That sounds really stupid because what you're saying is the time of this movie is, number one, not only not integral to the pro- plot, but the story yep. told is so timeless that it would almost be insulting to this movie to say that it's so reliant on the time or something. Like, it is such a beautiful capsule that's, of the love. That's exactly that what I'm getting That the time at. doesn't even matter. Like, if yep. you appreciate it enough to understand what the movie's about, then you stop seeing the notion of time. So I understand what you're saying. That's but what I'm getting But I do at. think that the art that was made there, so much care was taken to set it in its time that 
that's also something that's intangible. So as intangible as the absence of everything around love is, is the care that was put into defining the world around them. And I think that's in the tiniest touches that if you're going to put the love into this movie to understand that it's all about love regardless of time, you're also going to put the love into this movie to see the little things they did to set it in the time period. So, okay. I don't know. Good argument. You won me over. Yeah. Okay. So I, I need to do like a, uh, I don't know. You're the, you're the tech person, not me. I need to do like a, a regressive test here. So I'm going to throw you some titles and I just want like a, like a rapid fire. You tell me yay or nay. Is it a period piece or not? Yeah, let's try it. Including movies that you, I don't know if you've seen. I hope to God you haven't seen some of these. So, The Lone Ranger, Johnny Depp, Army Hammer. Is that a period piece? It takes place in the Old West. It is about a fictional character, fictional events, but it takes place in the Old West. Is that a period piece? I I would say yes, because it it, it describes life at the time. Does it? I can't say anything more than that. (laughs) You know Does what's really shitty like about that? that is because if that's a period piece because of that reason, then A Million Ways to Die in the West, that horrible, horrible yes, movie, is, is also a period piece. This is what I'm getting at. This is what I'm getting at. Is that I've a period piece? Because in that case, over. is Pirates of the Caribbean a period piece? It oh, takes God. place in a time. Th- this is sort of my, like, I don't know. I, I really have a hard time with this. I think maybe what we're getting at is that categories are inherently amorphous and difficult and you just have it's to define like you, your we terms. It's like we were talking about at some point, which is that war movies are period pieces. Right. And that's what you had pointed out. I, I I, do think there's something to that idea, but no one describes war movies as period pieces. Right, because they're a subsection that has a specific label. You know? I think it's the same thing as, as a traditional Western, not a Western, which is that Westerns don't have to be set in the West to be a western technically but a traditional western that is set in the west is kind of a period piece now um i'm not saying the west doesn't exist but it doesn't exist the same way as westerns that are now set in the west portray it right if that makes right. sense so but but westerns are their own subcategory so we don't call them period pieces we call them westerns if they're clearly set in the west and have cowboys and stuff the same way that we wouldn't call a war movie a period piece because they have their own subsection label which is war got movies. it so it's sort of like if it, if it has sense? a sub if it has a subcategory then that subcategory overtakes and right. and and becomes the definer yes, i can buy that I, I can buy that does fiction have anything to do with it so like in mm. other words wonder woman takes place in world war one and it's very world war one-y does that make it a period piece Right. Do you think that having fantasy elements of any kind in a period piece diminishes the periodiness of the period piece? I don't know. That's another question I have because fantasy fantasy versus fiction, right? Little Women didn't actually happen. Right. But obviously the elements that are within Little Women could theoretically have happened versus the chances of an Amazonian warrior princess crossing a no man's land in 1918 is less so like i don't know i don't know if that automatically invalidates it because it contains fantastical fiction but if that's the case then you're gonna lose a lot of movies i mean like i don't know aren't you gonna lose a lot of like shakespeare and stuff too that has fantasy elements this is hard movie categories are hard maybe that's what we're coming up with here 
This is a yeah. We could do a whole whole series on this. Um, there's a thing I read. I am reading here on dictionary.com. It says that a period piece has to evoke or epitomize a particular period of history. So maybe it's not even about what it's actually showing. It's about what it evokes within you. Like, do you get the vibe? I think that's fair. Honestly, that kind of makes sense to me if you're using that in like a wider sense, because that's how you're going to take movies like Pirates of the Caribbean and you're going to say they're not period pieces. Because it's not like a, yeah. it's not the vibe of the time. Like you're not watching them being like, God, I just can't wait to see Sugar Act era Mediterranean politics or Caribbean politics. Right. Rather. You're more just like, God, I can't wait to watch the pirates hit each other. Like that's not a period piece right. because like being able to state that you know or understood the year in which it was set or the decade in which it was set is different from really getting the vibe of the time. Right, and the vibe of the time being integral to it. Yes, both of those. Yeah. Okay, so. That was all a roundabout way of me saying, I don't really know, but I'll try to give you five period pieces using weird amorphous definitions. Um, These are my top five based on nothing, but they're the first five that I can name. Uncut Gems. Oh my God. That's my number one period piece. That is such an amazing period piece. And I will give it credit for this. I think it's really hard to do a modern period piece, right? That's hard. It's hard to take something and set it in a time that's not that far away. Because it's still with us. So that's my number one. That movie was 2010 as all hell. 2010, 2012, one of the two. Um, yeah, that's my first answer is on Cut Gems. Um, Little Women, I got to put up there, obviously. I just don't like, watch a lot of period pieces. So that was a really incredible, incredible one to me. Um, I'm going to say... I didn't particularly love this movie, but I thought that American Hustle was really well, like, made. Mm-hmm, it did a very good mm-hmm. job of showing the time period. So I'm going to throw that out there, I think. That seems fair. Um, I have no idea if this counts or not, but I'm going to do it anyway. Just for the, for the lulls, as the kids say. Back to the Future and the 50s. I think oh, Back to the Future the best. is the epitome, like, 50s movie. Like, the way that I conceive of the 50s as, like, a in, in like, high school is still through the lens of Back to the Future more than anything. Even over Greece, my mind goes to Back to the Future because everyone in Greece is kind of cool, and George McFly was not cool, and that feels more accurate to me. So, um, I think that's going to be another one for me. Uh... That was only three. Do I have two others? Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't know if I have two others. I don't think I've seen a lot of period pieces. I'm going to throw that out there. Maybe that's just something I need to rectify. I mean, Portrait of Lady on Fire was incredible. So I feel like I, I of course, have to mention that. Um, Oh, you know what? I'm going to throw a weird one out there. I'm not going to say this is in my top five. I just saw it fairly recently, and I thought it was kind of fascinating. Uh, I am thinking of a George Clooney movie, Up in the Air, with him and uh, what's-her-face? Him and um, Pitch Perfect. Anna Kendrick. That oh. movie was made in like 2010, but it's about the recession. And it was set like a, you know oh. what I mean? Like it, it was made about an event that happened like two years before it. But the movie is so palpably set in the recession that I've got to give it kind of almost like Uncut Gems. I, I Uncut Gems. I have to kind of give it credit for being so good at capturing a recent time without feeling like it's sort of like glorifying the time it's in it really did feel like a 
even more so than like the big short, which is set in the stock market yeah. crash, but does not feel like a period piece to me. It feels like a kind of like a dramedy about the event. Uh, up in the air very much feels like it is a period piece. It's, it's about 2008. It's about what it's like to be in there and sort of this tangential relation to it. So those are going to be my answers. I buy that. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to concisely state my five gay period pieces that I love. Um, here we have number one, Carol. This is a shout out to all the gays who are listening to this. Hello. You are seen and loved. Carol is a great movie. <laughs> we all agree. Um, only, only we will understand. This is a head nod. I hope you're all understanding. Number two, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Number three, The Favorite, uh, gay movie, great movie. Number four, The Handmaiden, which, have you seen that? Uh, no, I have not. It is yet another one that is on my list of things to see and I have not seen. Fantastic movie. Um, certainly gay, certainly a period piece, certainly very, very, very well made. Um, I think it, I think it's very high up on some of the top of the decade movie lists. So very good. I've seen that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess number five, Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> so that's where I'm closing that. That's really fair. I feel like it counts, you know? Yeah. No, that's really fair. I feel like there's an interesting separate category of movies that aren't period pieces, but they're movies that are emblematic of the time period they were released in, not they were released about. And I think Brokeback Mountain fits that too. Brokeback Mountain is like, it's got to be one of the 10 most influential movies of the 2000s. You know what I mean? Like that was such a, it was such a huge movie in its time period. You see what I'm saying? Yes. It's almost like, it's like a, uh, oh, here we go. They're not period pieces. They're time capsule movies. Yeah. I love that. You like that? Movies that you would put in a time capsule so that 20 years later, somebody opens it up and is like, what were movies like? And you're like, oh, though, that's what it was like. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not all good. I mean, it's really upsetting, but you had better bet your bottom dollar that the Joker is going in the 2010s one. It sucks to say, but it's so true. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, Joker is the singular movie that's made the most consistent appearances on this podcast. Isn't that sad? I'm really sorry. Yeah, I think we've probably gone one episode without mentioning Joker. (laughs) One might be a stretch. Yeah, that's our bad, everybody. Uh, Okay, so that was our five period pieces fantastic um i have a an easy one Mm -hmm. this can just be like a we just we just list them off this is from emma so shout out to you emma these are movies that are not good that you love anyways i'm excited maybe let's try to do like a i want this to be like gut instinct so let's try to do some like i say one you say one kind of business here okay good with that all right here we go i'm gonna start with jumper 2008, Hayden Christensen, Samuel L. Jackson, Rachel Bilson, uh, Jamie Bell. Terrible movie. I absolutely adore it. It's the first movie I ever bought on iTunes. I love that movie to death. Uh, that's my first one. All right. Um, I'm going with The Meg. I will watch that movie 200 <laughs> times. I've never seen it. The I don't even care. There's two big sharks in it. It's fantastic. It is, fan- it is horrible and fantastic. Um, it's a masterpiece. Watch it immediately. Wonderful. Okay. Um, I'm going to stick with my 2008-ish, 2009 movies, and I'm going to say the original Cloverfield. Uh. Oh, good choice. I, I know that movie's not considered that good, 
that was super influential on me. That was one of the, uh, you know what? Maybe to answer a previous question, movies that we thought were artsy. When I first saw that movie, I was like, that's literally the most high concept thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Because <laughs> I'd never seen like Blair Witch Project or anything. So. Oh my God. To me, that was just it. That was the end all be all of cinema. I was like, are you kidding me? Handheld? That's incredible. <laughs> like as that though they invented footage? it. Because I just didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, but I love that movie. I think it's still interestingly, I think the characters are interesting. I think there's, it's so lackluster in such a true way like it's one of those movies that follows real people not heroes like they just suck they're just regular people like they're (laughs) greedy and selfish and yeah um that's my second one cloverfield fantastic um i'm gonna say one that i actually just should have said first because i will stand by this movie until my dying day i would potentially like it played at my funeral um john tucker must die um, my oh, tiny little thing about this movie is I think it's a first off, I think it's a perfect movie. I literally will say that I think this is a perfect movie. I'm sorry, but I cannot make any improvements to this movie. It was made perfectly. Number two, the day that I realized that the internet may not be all that it was um, cracked up to be is the day I opened <laughs> RottenTomatoes.com, typed in John Tucker Must Die, and saw that it was rated really low. And I was like, I'm sorry, it turns out the internet can't be trusted. People lie on there all the time. Um, and you guys are all they do is lie. I actually remember being physically hurt that day when I learned that I was like, ah, no, (laughs) you guys are all wrong. It's a, it's a 100. This is a 100% movie. I, that maybe that's one of those movies that has improved with time or like with people away from it, because I feel like that's a very popular movie with our generation. But as far as I know, it is not a well reviewed movie. So, you know what I mean? It's, it's like something that did better for other folks but not so much with us big mistake H- huge mistake that's a movie reference everybody <laughs> this is a movie podcast that's a movie <laughs> reference look at us go um okay uh i'm going to throw out in the same vein of john tucker must die actually I, it's not really that similar but just i just got similar vibes this is an incredibly problematic movie i'm gonna say that right now but for whatever reason, it just stuck with me then and now. I love you, Beth Cooper, with Hayden Panettiere. Yo, I love that movie. <laughs> There's something about that movie that still to this day is just kind of like in my brain. <laughs> like, it's just, it's there. It felt very accurate at the time. And I realized that it's accurate in a really problematic way of like, ah, uh, friend zoning and what women who were obsessed with owe us kind of thing. But it's also just kind of good. Like, I don't know how else to describe it, but I it just works for me in a bad way. So I'm going to throw that out there. Hayden that's, how, that's my lasting image of graduation, that movie. Yeah. Forever and ever. Yeah. So that's going to be my, my third is I love you, Beth Cooper. I'm so proud of you. That's fantastic. This list was, yep. <laughs> was just elevated. Um, I'm going with one I'm really proud of. Rock of Ages. I love this oh, movie so I much, and I might literally I didn't know, it's know not good. anyone else had seen that movie. <laughs> I've seen it so many times, Eric. We need to rewatch it. I, it doesn't I matter that we spoil it, right? My heart. No, Nobody's I mean, seen that movie. What is there to spoil? That is my favorite Tom Cruise performance. I want to say that right now. Do you agree with me? My God, yeah. Oh it's my goodness, it's his strangest performance. Strangest. He oh, never it plays is the that role. Weirdest, weirdest thing he's ever done. And yeah, this is including the fact that first off, this guy's wacko, and second, he's played Les Grossman in Tropic Thunder, etc. 
Like, this yeah. is the weirdest thing he's ever done. Yeah. It really is. It's it's extraordinary. It's unlike any other Tom Cruise role I've ever seen. And to be clear, this is not like a Tom Cruise movie. He's not in it very long. But No. <laughs> that movie is like movie one, and then he comes in, you're like, oh, this is a completely separate movie. I didn't even realize. It's, yeah. It's a whole different cinematic universe. It's magic. <laughs> yep. Um, man, I saw that in theaters. I didn't realize anybody else saw it. Um, okay, my fourth entry is Dragonheart. Uh, which is a movie that I deeply love. I have no idea if this is like a popular movie, if it's well reviewed. It has a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. I guess that's not bad. I just don't know anyone who really pays attention to it or anything. But Dennis Quaid, Sean Connery, David Thewlis, uh, I loved this movie as a child. I love it now. It is long and kind of boring sometimes, and it is meandering in really weird ways, but it also has, especially for the time, pretty freaking amazing cgi on a dragon and just kind of it's like um maybe the best way i can describe it is if it's like if an american did shakespeare like like a like if an american was right you know what i can write another i can write a shakespeare like yeah i'll accept that description yeah you know what i mean like they're like oh i totally get it it's totally fine let me throw in some arthurian stuff like that's it's i don't know i love that movie um and i re-watched it within the past two years or so and uh yeah wow it does not hold up but i still very much enjoyed it so that's my number four okay i've only got i think there's only two more in my head right now um there's obviously hundreds that we both love but yeah i, I, I figured we each have many. five yeah perfect a really quick honorable mention we don't even need to go into detail because we've luckily dedicated part of an episode to this but 2012 of course right of, of course, course yep uh, come on, come on. Um, but my real final one is The Sweetest Thing. I love this movie. Um, I have some really cute um, associations with watching this. One of my friends and sleepovers all the time as a kid. So obviously I, I like it because of nostalgia. But I just thought it was a really weirdly low-rated movie that's just a cute, fun, um, perfectly enjoyable chick flick. I don't know if we don't say that anymore, but... Um, Cameron Diaz and Christina Applegate and Selma Blair are super hot in it and it's a weird fun movie and I, I don't feel super passionate about this movie I just can't believe it was this low rated that's all I gotta say about it okay I'll have to check that out I don't know that movie at all yeah honestly this is a perfect quarantine direct like you just want a, a comfort fun little chick flick put it on it's a great movie interesting okay uh, my number five is not like that at all. And I'm just going to apologize up front to the world. I know it's not popular. And I know that everyone else who likes these movies is the devil. So I'm sorry for that. Barring the Joker. No oh God. I really do like the DC movies. <laughs> not like sarcastically. Like I don't, I don't enjoy them ironically. I, I really do like them. I really do like Suicide Squad. I own that movie, and I own the extended edition, and I watch it every year. I listen to the soundtrack quite often. I know that that's not good, and I know Batman v Superman. I really enjoy that movie. I know it's not good. I'm so aware, but I I just like them. I don't know. They like they work for me. They're sort of silly and self aware in a very serious way, and it just works. Maybe it's just that I'm a fan, and that's all it takes. But they work for me. The problem is that everyone else who likes them on the internet is awful. Just awful. So I have to be very quiet about it. 
Um, but I enjoy them and I'm going to, I'm going to stand for that. So that's my number five. No, I'm really happy for you. I don't even hate them. I'm just happy for you. Thank you. you. It takes a lot to find your true emotions about the DC movies when you are a citizen of the internet. So I'm glad that you've been able to be true to yourself. (laughs) Yep. That sounds like a roast. I'm genuinely proud of you. (laughs) I I don't even think I'm able to fight through what the internet thinks. So There we go. All right. So that was uh, movies that are not good that we love anyways. Uh, in that case, my second to last question. Uh, this was submitted by Tori. Shout out to you, Tori. I'm going to warn you now, we don't have an answer to this question. But the question was, well, it's not a question. Let me start there. Minus one point for Tori. This is a statement. Hot take. <laughs> the made-for-TV version of Cinderella starring Brandy is the best version. We should start by saying that I don't think either of us has seen the made-for-TV version of Cinderella no. starring Brandy. Manifest to see so, this. Sorry, I know we just lost some listeners. Not our fault. It's our fault. But um, yeah. we don't we don't want it to be our fault. So it's not. Um, that's all I have for that, basically. Uh, yeah, we've never seen this movie. I've never seen this movie. So I unfortunately just don't have a lot to say about it. I don't have any opinions on your hot take. Uh, so instead, I'm just going to riff about Cinderella for a second. Uh, the Disney animated Cinderella was my grandfather's favorite Disney movie. He thought it was beautiful, and uh, it is. That's a true statement. Beautifully animated movie. Um, what else? The mice in that movie are very funny. I've never seen the live-action adaptation, uh, Disney adaptation of Cinderella, which I think stars uh, Lily Collins, maybe? Yes, yes. Never seen and it? Richard Madden. Really? Is Richard Madden the prince? Yes. Interesting. Didn't know that. Well... Um, again, never seen it. I heard it was pretty good. Uh, and that was obviously before they kind of started to slide quality wise. So I am interested in that. I don't know if I have anything else. Wasn't there a Cinderella movie that with Hilary Duff? A Cinderella story. And then another Cinderella Cinderella story. story. Those are great movies. Those might be on my list. Great ones. I think I saw a Cinderella story once, but I I honestly don't remember it. It's been a very long time. And, um... This is going to earn me a lot of ridicule on this podcast. I don't tend towards Hillary Duff's films. Yeah. Okay. Well, this was a really, it was really nice having a podcast (laughs) with you. And yeah, that um, was it, right? So sorry. We only lasted 11 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an age thing. I think it's the fact that when I came into Hillary Duff, I was a young, dumb boy. And she was Lizzie McGuire, and I wasn't that into Lizzie McGuire, and I couldn't really separate that out, so I didn't really seek out her movies. I'm also going to take a guess, though, and I know the internet's going to hate me for this, but I'm going to take a guess, and I'm going to say that like a lot of Amanda Bynes movies from that era, those movies are probably not as good as you remember. Yeah, I mean, definitely not. 100% okay, <laughs> not. That's not the point. Great. Come on now. <laughs> um, I'll make this pledge. I will go through and, and catch up on some Hillary Duff movies so that I can reassess on that. You know what uh, you should start with? Cheaper by the Dozen. I think it'll change your... I think it'll slightly swing you I, to, towards uh, liking her. Let me edit. I do enjoy Cheaper by the Dozen, and I actually do enjoy her in it. It's probably her most easily likable role, you know? Yeah, that, that, so those a are a great one. Well, I don't know if those are good movies, but I do enjoy them a lot. Isn't uh, What's-Her-Face in there? Allison Stoner. Yeah, as a yeah. kid, right? Yeah, she's yeah, she's, she's like a little the, like tomboy. She got the bangs and yeah, she's mm-hmm. fast. And then the <laughs> guy from Smallville, yeah. I think, is the brother. 
I don't know his name. I'm sorry, Smallville, but he's the brother. It's uh, weird watching these movies when you didn't know these people, you know? Like, now I'll watch it and I'll be like, oh, it's the guy from Smallville, but I didn't know oh, Smallville at the time. no, not so. at all. I didn't know them at all. I just thought they were all, like, new actors I just or whatever, knew, uh, yeah, I literally knew um, Hilary Duff, uh, obviously Steve Martin, and kid from the, sh- the from Disney, you know? Yeah, yeah. no, yeah, I agree with you. You just, you don't really know, I mean, especially when you're a kid, you just don't have any reference for it. Like, I didn't know Steve Martin until Jupiter by the Dozen. I was like, oh, he's the guy from Jupiter by the Dozen. Right. Which is as insulting which as... Which is hilarious. <laughs> ...things I've said before on this podcast. Like, <laughs> as Jumon Honsu is the guy from Never Back Down. Like, it's not That's true. A, yeah, Alan Cumming but is um, I, Floop. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I, it's not my fault. <laughs> it's just, like, when we see movies, and you know? And Zendaya is Michi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that... You know, I will say I don't have that one. I do not have Zendaya as Michi. Um, I don't either. It's just really funny. I think a lot of people do. <laughs> I think there's people that do, but uh, I I only two? I only knew Zendaya as as uh, Mary Jane or what's supposed to be Mary Jane. Really, that's so upsetting. I didn't know she existed until she got cast in Spider Man, and then everyone was like, "Oh, she's a big time oh, Disney man. person." And that's I didn't watch Disney all the time. You were imagine. my connection to Disney te- Disney Channel. You know what's really magical is how much of you are my only connection to older classic disney and i'm your only possible connection to new age disney, disney. Yeah. yeah disney channel yeah lovely true. all right well that was that question do you have a question uh because if not i think i have one to finish this out yeah finish this up yeah okay so the final question that was submitted to me uh is from my friend valerie so uh, shout out to you valerie this question uh wasn't well, it's sort of a question <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna phrase it into a, 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 a easier to understand way do we have any tips on how to critique a movie objectively? Ooh, that's a good question. A very good question. I thought it might be a good place to end because most of the other questions were like, play Seven Degrees of Iron Man. So this was, you know, uh, substantial. Uh, do you have anything you want to start with this? Yeah. Do, do Should we give the... like a spoiler alert that yeah, our first is... answer is no? No. That uh, as in like you possible? can't? Yeah. yeah, it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. So Good I guess I guess start. I guess we can reframe the question then a little bit as it sounds like an entire reframing of the question, but I promise we're basically answering the same thing. It's just what is the job of a movie critic? If that makes sense. Yeah. You know, because it's never going yeah. to be given objective review. So then what is it? Yeah, I think that's fair. Which is also like again, spoiler alert, that's a big question. Yeah. And not a question with like an answer. Like, there's many right, answers, but there's not, like, the answer, and it's going to depend mm-hmm. on who you talk to. And there's always different contexts for which there are different answers, obviously. I mean, if you're a YouTube film essayist versus if you're writing for the New York Times. But right. more generally, what is the point? Yeah. So I think where I would like to start with this is, like we said, I think our answer is you cannot critique a movie objectively. So let's start with just, like, a really easy why is that. Um, I want to start by saying that uh, and unless I'm very much mistaken about Shalila's academic background, I don't believe either of us were film students. No. Uh, so what I'm, the reason I bring that up is like, I don't think either of us is like academically trained in film, which is the thing you can be in many different ways of that film writing, film directing, film editing, producing, cinematography, criticism, whatever theory, all of that all exists we don't have it so 
when I say that I don't believe that you can that you can critique a movie objectively, I'm not saying that there's not like real objective measurements of film because there there have to be to some degree like in any art form there are conventions and there are rules and i guess my basic understanding of most film is that you kind of have to learn to do the rules so that you can then figure out how to break the rules right like like almost every other form of art you got to generally figure out how to actually do it so that you can then figure out how to do it differently so where I'm going with this is I, I don't think that you can critique a movie objectively because like any other form of art, I don't think it's possible for you to watch a film without bringing yourself into it. So you can try to watch a movie and you can try to say, I want to be objective. But the problem is your definition of objectivity is going to differ from someone else's. Right. And I think the most common thing that I see is people say, well, by objective, what I mean is, is the acting good? Is the writing good? Was the cinematography good? Was the editing good? And and you've definitely heard Shalil and I talk like that, speak like that in our Oscars episode especially. But it's, again, that measure of the word good that matters. Are you speaking in reference to typical film convention? Are you speaking in reference to, um, you know, like... The, the specific genre you're talking about and how well it evokes other things like it. Are you talking about previous bodies of work by the person? So are you saying like, is this, is this a good Spielberg movie? Do you mean in reference to all movies or do you mean as a mark against his own body of work and specifically mm-hmm. Spielberg and what his conventions are? Um, and that's where we're kind of getting at that it's just not possible because you, you have to have some set of definitions before you can get around to saying that you're being objective. But I think to get to what Shalila, I'd, I'd love to hear sort of your, your position on this and, and sort of what you mean by like, what is the job of a film critic is, I think what I want to leave it at just as like a very basic sense is, I don't think you should be trying to critique a movie objectively. I think it's a failed task to be, to be, to start from that position is to set yourself up for failure. Oh, I, I completely agree with that. Um, yeah, I think if, if movies are an art form, that would like to evoke things within you, which is hopefully the point of all art, um, whatever that may be and however small it may be, it's trying to evoke something, um, then it would be very silly for you to try to be objective because that would mean removing all sense of being a person and thus feeling whatever the movie would like you to feel, right? Like, I'm not saying that anybody's trying to do that necessarily, but if you're trying to come up with your objective in quotes review, then you're trying to say, okay, I stopped seeing this as the person that I am, and I started seeing this as a shadow of a person. So then you didn't really see it as the art, right? Um, and right. I think we're all guilty of that. In At any point when you try to say, I'm going to quell how I really feel about this thing and try and see how other people felt, what you're really saying is, I'm going to stop feeling all the things that I felt, and I'm going to try and imagine that I felt other things. But that's not the point, man. The movie made you feel what you feel. Um, and that is a criticism of the movie. Um, right. That's legitimate. That's accepted. Um, and right. I, and I'll bring it down to the... this. The, I, I think this is an ongoing journey for, for certainly me, probably a lot of us, probably you as well, which is just how can we become better as film critics, right? Like, that's, that's kind of a journey we're always all taking. Yeah. Those I'm of glad us you took it there. Film, I think... Right? I feel like that's actually kind of what that question is getting at. 
right? Is like bigger picture. How do you get, how do you get better at critiquing movies? Right. And I'll say that the one thing that, the only thing I can say is, I guess the only real in caps recommendation I have is just watch as many movies as you can. I think, I think not, not only will that help you place the movie you've just watched somewhere on the the ever-growing bookshelf of mental DVDs that you already have. I think it'll also give you more and more and more of many of a many-dimensional whetstone upon which to compare the movie you've just watched. So again, you don't need to be able yeah. to give it any kind of objective view, but it, within your own brain, within your own very legitimate and very accepted universe of movies, you'll know where in your big network of movies to place it. And I think the more you grow that network, the more some sort of structure, again, to you within your own brain, will start to take form and take shape. And the bigger that web grows, the more exciting it is to start placing movies in different places. You know, does that make sense? Like the the more puzzle pieces you have, the more you can start making shapes out of it. And it doesn't matter whether your shape even slightly resembles somebody else's shape resembles. But it just means that if you want to sit down and talk about or write about a movie, you'll have more things to place it next to. And it doesn't mean comparing. It just means more frames of references, which is more fun. No, I think that's great advice. Like that is, and then maybe that's not like, maybe that sounds unhelpful. Like the answer is like, hey, you should watch more movies. But I mean, it really is just, I don't know about any other form of art, to be completely honest. I'm not that involved in other art forms, but. I would presume that it is probably very similar if you are a painter, if you are a sculptor, right? Like, if you're in any form of art, I feel like the answer is in order to get better at it, you just have to keep doing it, right? Like, you have to keep seeing what other painters are doing, what other sculptors are doing, what other musicians are doing, and consuming different types of music and consuming different types of painting and learning about them and, and because that will grow your frame of reference for what you want to do, uh, I think, is that's all you can really do. I'm going to offer uh, one alternative, which is not to say that that's not the answer, because I think that is like the definitive answer. You just have to watch more. Um, one of the big things I think for me personally was like my steps into non-Western film is incredibly shallow in like the scheme of all film. I have really not dipped my toes that much into the world of international film, and that is like international, just meaning non-American here. Um, and that's kind of like a whole other set of things because that's going to, like, as I've been doing that, it's been teaching me to watch movies in different ways because I really cannot compare a Bollywood film to an American film. Like, they're not, like, and, and say, like, well, was, uh, I don't know, The Dark Knight better than Piku? I, I don't know. Though I, like, it's just not... Uh, right the conventions are different. And because of that, it trains your brain to start thinking about them differently. So my recommendation beyond just watching as many as you can is to actually go almost the exact opposite. If you're really interested in trying to get better at this, my recommendation is to take a movie that you really enjoy or that you really don't enjoy. One of the two. And my recommendation is that you do a really close watch. Um, Basically, like a like if you're thinking about like being back in school, like a close reading, I think is the term they would use. Same kind of idea. So in this case, you'll take a movie that you really like or you really don't like and just watch it a bunch. And I don't mean over the course of time. I mean, like spend a day 
watch that movie over a couple times and you're not watching it for its totality. You're going to watch it hopefully on like your laptop, like something that's easy to pause. And what I want you to do is watch it and pause it and fast forward and rewind and go through scenes that you really like or you really don't like. And the question that I would start with isn't, is this a good scene? Is this a bad scene? And and because that's what, what Shalila said, that's going to lead you down a path of like, well, compared to what? Like, like what puzzle piece are you fitting that into? And, and do you have enough to say that? What I would recommend instead is think about what is the purpose of the scene that you're watching? Like, what is it trying to convey? If you can't find an answer, that might be a good place to start. Like, that might be a good piece of evidence for this might not be a very good scene. Uh, if you feel like you just can't find the answer because you're not sure, well, that's a great place to start for you to begin investigating and, and finding scenes like it and figuring out why is it that this isn't, that I can't quite grasp what this is for. But the reason that you do this is because that, that personally is the way that I tend to approach reviews and, and my own criticisms. I don't measure movies against each other so much as I'm measuring them against themselves. I try to anyway, it's, and I fail all the time. But as a general rule, like, the reason I didn't like Doolittle is not because it wasn't The Godfather. The reason I didn't like Doolittle is because its own interior mechanics did not work with itself, where individual scenes, logic, and its own tonalities, and its own pacing did not mesh with itself. Not because it didn't mesh with Parasite. So that's my recommendation, is, is take those scenes and figure out why you like them. Why do they work? Is it, like, it, in, in every sense of the word. Like, why did you like the acting in that scene? Why did you like the way the camera was used in that scene? What did you like about the lighting, any of it, the staging? And then figure out why it's being used. And that will train you to better think about what a movie is trying to get at. What is it trying to do? Um, I think my, honestly, like, just personally, my biggest growth, I think, as like a person who watches movies and likes movies, is I have slowly but surely weaned myself off of the idea that a movie has to be good um, in order to be worthwhile. Like, in other words, mm -hmm. every, you know, every movie must be a parasite. And uh, movies that we've said today, right? Like, Sweetest Things for Shalila. Or Sweetest Things? Sweeter Things? The Sweetest um, Thing. The Sweetest Thing. Or one you just brought up, right? Uh, Cinderella Story. Or, for me, like, Jumper. I'm aware that those movies aren't very good in the scope of like how were they received critically how do people think about them in terms of art but like how what does it do for you does it work for you is it enjoyable is it entertaining and is that what it's trying to do that's that's like i think a, a very important thing and that is something i've really had to come to realize once i kind of get over like the snooty college phase that i think a lot of people go through which is fair um some movies can just be fun like that can be their intention is to put a smile on your face as you're watching it and to make you forget about something or to make you just sort of feel good as you're watching it. And they absolutely do not have to serve another purpose beyond that at all. They don't have to serve some larger narrative. They don't have to have excellent craftsmanship. They don't need to be a treatise on anything. It can just be something that makes you smile and that's a-okay. Um, so that's my recommendation. I really love that a lot, a lot. Because my closing thought on this is that my personal growth as a very still shitty, very amateur film critic comes from 
learning from the people around me and a ton of that has come from learning from you as well like I, I feel like you're a very influential film critic to me so thank you Eric um so genuinely that's like crazy good advice I I really do think my favorite thing has been just you learn from other people around you not because when you read a other a ton of other film critics you'll start copying their work I mean maybe if you have no passion for this and you find yourself doing that maybe that's that's because you don't like to credit critic films critic films you don't like films <laughs> maybe um but i think more likely if you read and watch and study the works of other critics whom you admire you're definitely not going to just start writing like them you're going to understand better why you agree and disagree with them which is going to help you realize that you held beliefs about film that you didn't know you held you just have to have work to compare yeah. yourself to and i think um as, as somebody who even four years ago thought I have just no right to speak on anything, um, I've, I've learned a ton from um, just, this is, again, such a, such a Western conception of criticism, of film, but just reading the works of many critics whom I admire. And I think the way, the way I was able to understand better the, the critics I like and the critics I don't like, in quotes, not, not, not a personal judgment, just the critics that I gravitate more towards, is that there are certain critics who will write a review of a film, say, for XYZ magazine. And it, it's a good... It's a, I'm sure that they write really good reviews. They, they're, they're professional writers, and they, they, it's just absolutely gripping prose. But um, I think their idea of objectivity, or their view of their job as an objective, in quotes, film critic, is just, hey, there shouldn't be a conflict of interest here. I think that you can understand when you read sort of a dry review and you know that they were trying their best to pull themselves out of everything and in the simplest sense remove the word I from their review and and it kind of gives you nothing. And then you read other reviewers who are also writing for XYZ magazine and they're also they also know their audience but for some reason there was a spark of something in their review and it may be just as kind of generic as they need to to get past the editor and publish it but you still felt a spark of something and you know what they're trying to say in their review um and i don't know if that made any sense but you'll be able to tell when you no, read I... a reviewer that you like or you watch a film essay that you like or you 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 talk to somebody and you have a friend who really likes movies or yourself you have a conversation with yourself and you were able to present that spark of just what it is that you liked about something or why you're able to make this argument that, like you said, a movie was consistent with itself and did what it set out to do. And and I think just seeing how other people accomplish that who have all this experience that I have none of um, gets you so much further on the path of understanding how to do that by yourself. I think that is so like integral that you just brought that part up. Um, the idea of putting yourself in the review because that is probably the biggest mistake and by mistake i guess i should know like i wasn't writing for anybody like it was just for myself always it's always been for myself i've never been paid to write a review but like as i was beginning to write reviews and try to get into that and learn how to do it and, and sort of practice that on my own the biggest mistake i made for years was i was way too focused on like i need this to sound a certain way like i need it to sound dry and detached and and like factual, you know, like this movie is good. Like just that, you know, like no, like you just said, like no, I, I never used I in my writing at all. And it wasn't until a lot of reviews in when I, and I was bored out of my gourd. Like I just couldn't, I was enjoying it, but I wasn't loving it. I couldn't quite like figure out what it was. And it took me forever to figure out like it's because I wasn't putting myself in it at all. Mm -hmm. And 
wasn't letting that in. And that's, that's like the whole point. Like, otherwise I, I mean, it may sound harsh, but I don't know if you'd agree with this, Shalila, but I think as a general rule, no one really cares what your opinion on Parasite was. Like another, let me rephrase that. No one cares whether or not you think Parasite is good. Irrelevant. They can go to Rotten Tomatoes to figure that out. Like the question is, what did you think of Parasite? Like, what did it make you, the writer, the critiquer, the speaker, feel? And why? And and that's in why, right? And that's going to change because you are the person feeling it. And that was really big. Like, and honestly, the movie that made me change the way I write about movies was Sorry to Bother You. Uh, which for anybody who has not seen that movie, it is a whew, heavy and baffling film uh, from Boots Riley. And I believe it's on Amazon. Am I right about that? Hulu, maybe? I think so. It was for it was streaming for a long time for free. Um, please watch it if you get a chance, but I would say watch it. Just be be ready for a lot of weirdness. Uh, I began my review for that movie saying, I honestly don't know if I can review this movie. I, I don't I don't really know what to say about it, and I'm not sure I even have the tools to say it. And that was the review that made me change the way I wrote about movies and thought about them and spoke about them because I didn't know what else to say. I didn't have an objective thing to say about it because I couldn't figure out how to even wrap my brain around that movie. But that was like the key point. I, me, Eric could not figure out how to wrap my Eric's brain around that movie, not like an objective set of statements. So um, I just, I'm really glad you pointed that out, Shulila, because I think that's really, really integral. It's like, don't forget yourself in it. That's the thing that people want to see. Um, the only other asterisk or addendum I'm going to throw into what you just said, because I love that you said that, and I have learned it way too late, as in, like, I wish I'd learned it earlier, is reading other people and, like, going and finding other people that are around you and, and other critics. My biggest piece of advice is do exactly what Shalila said. Don't, like, extend out the definition. When I'm not going to say that you meant this, but I'm going to say I'm taking it this way. When Shalila says find other people around you, literally go find your peers or people within your age range plus or minus five years. Because my biggest issue is when I started, and I'm not saying you shouldn't read other reviewers, but my biggest issue when I first started was I was reading like Roger Ebert reviews and reviews from the LA times and the Atlantic and longtime critics that I really enjoyed and, and like idolized in a sense. And every time I would write a review, I was like, God, this just doesn't even sound close to them. Well, yeah, <laughs> those people are like 63 <laughs> years old. They have seen so many more movies than I have in their lives. It's not even close. And they will probably see more than I ever will because of the way that film is distributed now. Like, it's just not even going to be close. They're, they're, and there's no reason to compare yourself that way. I'm so glad you way. said that. It's so true. You just shouldn't. You shouldn't walk into it and be like, I am going to write just like Roger Ebert. How in the hell are you going to do that? Like, it's, it's just not possible. Versus... This is brand new for me, by the way. I would say this is only in the last year. Have I learned to stop going for those reviews? And there's a lot of great resources now. There's actually a, a Twitter account I would really recommend for everyone to follow um, or check out. I believe it's called YCA, which is the Young Critics Association, which is actually a, it's a group of critics that are all under the age of, I think, 28. And you have to have a byline at least, and you have to have a certain amount of submitted reviews to be a part of that association. And they, they don't take everybody. It's a really strict thing. And it started, I think, this year, so they don't have very many people. But what they do, aside from highlighting their own writers, is they highlight writers that are under the age of 28. Um, 
And the whole point is exactly what I just said. Like get, get a younger perspective. And it's not because older people don't have something to contribute. You should be reading those too. It's because those people have probably seen the movies that you have seen. Like you, you have a more similar bag that you're both packing. And that means that when you're reading it, that you can sort of see what they're also getting at. And it's, it's going to be a lot easier. You're going to be comparing apples to different apples, not apples to incredibly venerated oranges. So that's where I would start with is just like, and I feel like that should be the case in, in all movies, right? Like, or in any art form, like if you're starting out making movies, don't try to be Scorsese with your first movie would be my guess is what they would advise. Like (laughs) instead, maybe find some other people your age and see what they're doing. Like it's okay. Uh, Or, or like your experience level, you know, like, there's unicorns, but just start there. So anyway, I just wanted to add on that little bit of mastery because that was a big mistake I made and I'm still brand new to it. Um, no, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Local critics too. I think that's really important. There's a lot of Chicago critics that I've recently started following because again, like just trying to get some sense of like, what are people around me, literally around me doing? Not what are the critics who live in Greenwich Village doing who are all over the age of 50? Like right. I, what the hell do I have to compare to them? You know? Right, which so. is the the really exciting thing about having ha- having so many people now be able to distribute their reviews and thoughts on the internet, right? Like that's one of the most magical things is I'm genuinely able to watch and see what people yeah. think from the from their bedrooms and make these very yeah. compelling film essays that would have had absolutely no place in media whatsoever 20 years ago. So, um, it's, it's, so a, it's a really fun time to legitimize yourself as a critic. Yeah. yeah, you know, like we were always legitimate. It's just that. I think yeah. my mother would have had to compare herself only to the person in the newspaper. And now I get all of this. So feel great. We about should probably that. also know, you should probably be finding people that aren't like you. And I know I just yeah. said like find people your age, but like definitely seek out people that are not from your background, that are not of your ethnic group, class group, that are not geographically located near you. Do that too. Find local critics, but also find other folk, like see other perspectives. Um, and I think that's important, not not even just for the general sense of like, it's important to have views that are not your own. But when I started reading reviews beyond the same three men from the same three venerated publications, my understanding of movies skyrocketed mm-hmm. because I started getting perspectives that I never in a million years would have arrived at in my own brain because I, I'm not those people. I, I never would have had that perspective. I never could have gotten there. Um, and that has definitely changed the way that I watch movies of like, I wonder how this reads if I was X or whatever. So, right. um, that would just be my sort of final recommendation is definitely seek out, seek out like differing reviews too. I, this is going to sound like such a strange one, but I actually brought this up in a previous episode with you, Shalila. One of the more interesting reviews I read in the past year was one for Ford versus Ferrari from a French newspaper critic. Um, it was translated to English for an English magazine, I think, but it was just so interesting to see that film from such a weird, different... Because to me, it was still just so much like, cool car movie. <laughs> but this person was writing about that movie like it was, I mean, a gift from God. And it was so weird to read where I was like, oh, wow, okay. Like, this really matters if you're someone who is French and you know what the Lama is. You know what I mean? Like, if you're, if you're, right. if you're from that mythology, this means something. Well, to me, it was like, cool. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, just my, that's my final recommendation. And also, though, what you buried in there, also read things that you don't agree with. Like, just read them. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, which yeah. Which doesn't mean go to the incel 
bored and read about Joker. Um, oh, yeah. Don't do no, that. No, no, no. <laughs> but Abuse, read... Abusive reviews should not be tolerated. <laughs> yeah, like, filter out the bullshit, but read reviews yeah. that you on principle sort of disagree with because they'll help you get better at understanding whether a case is well stated or not like the most simple thing about writing just writing whatever you're writing fiction nonfiction, thesis book um which is are you able to back up your case well which is what eric said like six times in the past 20 minutes and i'm now hijacking but if you understand if you're able to read a review that you disagree with in quotes but you kind of understand what they're saying and how they got there um, there's something to be said about unpacking how they how they framed their review or what the deal with what they were saying was because I think it just makes all the difference. Um, weird little thing. Um, so the difference for me between why I despise the YouTube channel Cinema Sins and love the YouTube channel Cinema Ugh. Wins is not because I hate nitpicking and I love positivity. I am a very weirdly negative person. Um, I just think that the Cinema Sins channel is seriously only a list of things and that's fine that's cool um i didn't even realize that i had a problem with it until i found cinema wins because 50 percent of their videos are a list of positive things which again is fine it's just a list but then a full 50 percent of their video is a proper encapsulation making a case for why a movie is as good as the person thinks they thinks it is and just having that case ties so much more together and it just it just taught me i mean again this is just a very positive youtube channel i don't think he's trying to be the world's foremost film critic but again that there's no such thing so it's it's some of the most most impactful film criticism out there in that this guy isn't even trying to do a film review but he's inadvertently making a very well backed up case for every single movie he's ever done on his channel and i think that's a really admirable and it taught me a lot about making your case which is hard it just made me a better writer that's fascinating i did not know that existed i definitely want to check that out i I think that you you really just defined my problem with cinebisense i've never been able to define it well other than it annoyed me and i'm very aware that it has a it has had a negative effect on the world of criticism like especially for like newer generations because it's all criticism has been boiled down to like can you spot a logical flaw and i've never been able to really encapsulate like Oh, uh, you just did it perfectly. It's all about like, that's not relevant. (laughs) Like what is the actual case being made? So great. Well, thank you, Valerie. That was a much deeper discussion than what superhero was correct in the 2015 film Civil War. Um, Dad. So (laughs) that's all I got. Uh, thank you for doing this with me, Shalila. This has been a very fun 11 episodes of our podcast. I appreciate it. This this is truly lovely and i'm always learning from you so thank you for doing this with me yeah well this is our our first mailbag episode hopefully we will have uh another one at some other mile marker that we'll make up because it's all made up you know yeah film criticism yeah so i guess we can do our, our usual outros if you'd like yeah uh you can find us all over the place basically wherever you listen to podcasts we're there it's like a good way to sum it up right yeah. Specifically Spotify and Apple Podcasts, of course, but pretty much anywhere else you can find us. All the other um, We are also on Patreon at patreon.com slash A-Y-S-W. Uh, if you'd like to support our podcasts and help us grow it and pay for it to exist on places, because that's pretty much entirely what it is, <laughs> it turns out. Uh, I didn't, didn't even realize. Um, and uh, we are also on Twitter at A-Y-S-W pod. Mm-hmm. 
I'm getting better at this. Every day I'm getting better. Smooth. Smooth and better. And where could we find you on Twitter, Shalila? I am findable on Twitter at the handle OKShalila. And where can our viewers find you, Eric? I am at Twitter as well, at MoreEricMorales. And yeah, those are probably the best places to find what Shalila and I and the pot are doing is on Twitter. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you again uh, for submitting all those questions. And uh, hopefully, we, like I said, we can do this again relatively soon and we'll get some some good topics and questions in there. Shalila, I believe you mentioned that a lot of listeners submitted some episode ideas. So we will have those yes. coming down the, uh, the pipeline as well. If you didn't, yeah, if we didn't get to your question, it's not because we ignored it. It's because we're <laughs> planning something bigger for it. <laughs> so yes, thank you very much. Genuinely very appreciated. As always. And until then, good night, everybody. Good night.